we got the alternative energy. free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome. I'm KA. This week's Rad Show has been recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Wadjuk Noongar, or better known as Perth for 3CR Melbourne, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. On this week's show, you'll hear from Anangul Spinifex woman Debbie Carmody on her recent time on the Peace Boat. Debbie was invited as a guest educator on the Peace Boat as part of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN, workshop series All Aboard in early January this year. Debbie gave a powerful history lesson speaking of her family's terrible suffering from the nuclear fallout from the Maralinga atomic bomb tests from the 1960s and how her people became some of the first environmental refugees from their country, Oldia. So good morning. My name is Nindari. My English name is Debbie. I am Anangal and Spinifex. Both my families suffered from nuclear fallout from the atomic bomb tests that were held at Maralinga, land that sits within our traditional homelands. In the 1950s, at the height of the Cold War, the British government began to explode a series of atomic bombs in the empty Australian desert, containing nothing but a few spinifex bushes, red dirt and the howl of dingoes. A number of minor trials, assessment tests and experimental programs were held in the range until 1963. Atomic bombs that were exploded in a forgotten land far away from Western civilization. This land was not terra nullius, but home to another civilization, one who had lived in the desert for over 20,000 years. But who are the Anangul and the Spinifex people? What are our lands? Our lands sit above the Great Australian Bight and Nullarbor Plain. We are desert people. We live in the Great Victorian Desert. The Spinifex people live in a sheltered world, known only to a few. Our land is June country and is covered by a rich and strikingly beautiful mosaic of mallee, mile, oak, cypress and mulga vegetation. For thousands of years we travelled all through our land for social, cultural, political and religious reasons. We had significant places such as Uldia, which was a major travel route, and many different people would gather there. Each group had their specific section of land where they would camp, but there was a big meeting ground near the waterhole where the different groups would gather to socialise, to exchange news about each other and to sing and dance. But our way of life was soon to be disrupted. It was 1908 when survey teams commenced work on the route of the new Trans-Australian Continental Railway Line. The aim was to link the east coast to the west coast of Australia by rail. The Spinifex people were scared because they had never seen white man's industrial creations before. They ran and hid behind a sand dune, peering over the top of the sand dune, and they couldn't believe their eyes. This monster, with steam puffing from its nostrils, had eaten people. They could see inside, they could see people inside the monster's stomach and the monster had turned them white and so began my people's contact with the white man. Uldia had plenty of water there and it became an important watering point for the steam engines 
and brought my people into close contact with the railway workers and white travellers who had little conscience and no understanding of Anangal and Spinifex people. But the different groups of people were curious about each other. The white people would hang out of the train windows and look at the black people, and the black people would stand on the side of the train tracks and look at the white people. My people learned how to sell artefacts to the white people. It was a new way of trading. Many Italians worked along the railway line and new relationships were formed. Children were born from the Italians and they grew up speaking their own languages and Italian. The Anangal and Spinifex people settled into life at Aldea, but their satisfaction with life suddenly came to an abrupt end. A big community meeting was held at Aldea and my Dhammal, my grandfather, was the English interpreter. He told the people they had to leave Aldea. The people were very sad. They were crying and mournful wails filled the air. They asked each other, where do we go? This is our land. This is our home. We have lived here for thousands of years. This is our bar, our law. We have no other home. The people were forced off their homelands and the government gave them no explanation as to why. My people became refugees. They had no cars. They had to walk. And with sad hearts, they walked away from Uldea. Um, my Dhammal, my grandfather, was given a horse and cart because of the work he did interpreting and he was travelling east. But along the way, the wheel broke off and he and his family had to walk. The Jamison family walked to Uldea train station and waited until dark for a train. The people were not allowed to get on the trains, but the Jamison family sneaked onto a slow-moving train which was travelling west to Kalgoorlie. In those days, we travelled with fire sticks and the Jamison family jumped into an empty wooden carriage. They sat in their wooden carriage holding their fire sticks, but soon they went off to sleep. As the train picked up speed, travelling through the desert night, the fire sticks dropped to the wooden carriage floor. A fire started and the whole carriage was on fire as the train hurtled into the night. No one heard the screams of men, women and children as the fire engulfed them. Some people jumped from the speeding train into the dark desert night, never to be seen again, while others burnt to death. Two people survived and today we tell their story. My people did not understand why this was happening to them. The white man's world was a cruel world, a world that showed no humanity. Later, my people found out that the reason why they had to move from Uldea was because of that bomb. Yes, the government, along with the British government, was putting plans into action to begin atomic testing at Maralinga. It was 1952, and while people around the world protested, ban the bomb, my traditional homelands was being bombed as the British and Australian governments tested atomic bombs. The Spinifex and Anangal people saw strange things and suffered from radiation poisoning and died within their homelands. An auntie told me, the smoke was a long way away. It was going straight up. Everyone was coughing, vomiting, and blood was coming out of people's noses and mouths. The family died. 
They were all very sick. No one could walk. Everyone was just crawling around. All we knew was that the wind had brought in this terrible sickness. Crows fell out of the sky. They just dropped. Once we found some rabbits. They were cooked and blackened. We ate them. I should have had an older sister, but she died of the sickness brought on by the smoke and the bomb. Other kids died. When some people ate meat and when they drank water, they died. Archival reports provide evidence that the Australian government knew that there were people in the area when the atomic tests took place. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The 3CR subscriber drive is now on. Please support independent media makers like The Radioactive Show team by subscribing to the local radio station where you hear our show or by becoming a subscriber directly to The Radioactive Show. Go to www.3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe and select The Radioactive Show in the drop-down menu. We continue to listen to Anangul Spinifex woman Debbie Carmody's powerful speech from her recent time on the peace boat. Debbie has been a long-time campaigner to stop uranium mining on her country from the proposed Vimy Resources Mulga Rock uranium project. We pick up Debbie's speech on the suffering of the Maralinga atomic bomb test and the beginning of the missionary people in the area. Bob Stewart, an American missionary, came out to Australia and set up Kundalini Mission in the 1950s. Kundalini Mission is just east of Kalgoorlie in Western Australia, on the edge of the Great Victorian Desert. Bob Stewart said he had a vision to save Aborigines of the Western Desert so I could educate and Christianise them. The Australian government officially asked Mr Stewart to stop luring people from the bush because their customary way of life should be disturbed as little as possible. The government's refusal to remove spinifex people from lands contaminated by nuclear fallout reflected the argument amongst white Australians at the time that Indigenous people living in the bush would disappear or die out because of the progressive onslaught of white superiority in physical, cultural, intellectual and Western religious ideologies. But Mr Stewart continued with what he called rescue missions, where he went out into the desert and brought people into Kundalini Mission. By the close of the 1950s, the British government called on the Australian government to remove and institutionalise Spinifex people. The Australian government now encouraged Bob Stewart, the missionary man, to rescue Spinifex people. My Dummel, grandfather, and my uncle Brooksy and a group of other Spinifex people said, when Bob Stewart pulled up to say hello, we greeted him with a dance. We were naked, dancing like we saw them white girls dancing naked in the city. The missionary man gave us clothes to wear, and Auntie said, we never wore clothes before. We don't know what to do with them. Clothing was all wrong, wrong way, upside down, inside out. Uncle Brooksy was walking around with a dress on. The missionary man said, I will come back and get you. Here is some food. He gave them food in a tin. My family had never seen tin food before. They thought it was a type of egg and they tried to crack it open, but it wouldn't open. So they thought 
Maybe it needs to be killed first. And they took turns spearing the tin meat, but still it would not open. When the missionary man came and got them, it was the first time they had ever been for a ride in a car. The car took off and they were scared to be moving so fast across the ground. One uncle tried to jump out of the car, but they held on to him. One auntie was crying in fear and they were all vomiting with motion sickness. It was a terrible journey. When they arrived at Kundalini Mission, it was even more terrible. Tin shanties, there was no water. By the 1960s, Kundalini Mission was seen by the Australian government as an important contact point for the Spinifex people and saw the settlement as an appropriate centre in which primitive natives could be trained and assimilated into white culture as servants. There were many problems which, um, such as its isolated position and a serious shortage of water. For my family, this was a strange foreign land and it was restricted lifestyle full of poverty, lack of water, and people's personalities began to change. There were arguments and fighting. It was a bad place and no one was happy. We inherited a social disaster. While we understand the reason some of us were removed from our homelands, it is difficult to understand why the government deserted us once we were removed. And the evangelical experience at Kundalini Mission left my people little to be thankful for. Exposure to the spirit of Christ left us little but the spirit of the hop and the grape for consolation. The Australian Evangelical Mission finally accepted defeat. The process of assimilation did not serve the Spinifex people very well and so the legacy of the church was left behind. But what a legacy for the Spinifex people, rescued from the bush and delivered to a concentrated, poorly equipped, underfunded, badly watered and poorly located settlement on the fringes of Western civilization. We were displaced from our homelands, refugees because of atomic bomb testing, and thousands of our people were laying dead on contaminated desert sands. An uncle told me an old man went back into the desert to look for people, and they were laying dead like ants. When we came, when he came back from um, back came, sorry, when he came back to Kundalini, he died an agonising death one week later. People were developing strange diseases, and all their records were kept at a health clinic. But sadly, a fire burnt the health clinic down, and all records were lost. In the 1970s, the Spinifex people told the government they wanted to go back to homelands, but the government did not listen to them. Instead, the government built another community, Kunana. A small, commun a small group of people went there to live, but the majority of my people, the Spinifex people, voted with their feet. It was a huge exodus, a movement of the people. We got up, stood up, and walked from Kundalini to Yakadunya. It took six days to walk, about 25 kilometres a day. Yakadunya was regarded as a temporary setup and just a stepping stone back into Spinifex country. A ball for water was put down and people lived there for about four years. Yakadunya is situated in the northern Nullarbor and it is very harsh country. 
but they had a good supply of water. The government agencies thought the whole intention for Yakadunya was a place where the old people could go and sit down and use the place as a base to travel north into Spinifex country. But the people thought otherwise. This was their first step in moving back to country to live. And because of cultural reasons, a senior elder walked in front to map out the route so as not to disturb sites of significance and at the same time to be close to the waterholes and the best route through the sandhills. Behind him came a bulldozer, then a loader, then a grader, and then the Spinifex people. And that is how we return to country. Dun dun dada. My brother was a child when we walked back into country. He was walking behind the senior elder who was putting markers down for the bulldozer to see what route he would bulldoze. My brother remembers picking the markers up and playing with them as he walked behind the senior elder. And then the bulldozer driver did not know which way to go. He remembers the senior elder growling him as he had to walk back and retrace his steps for the machinery. Much later, we looked at satellite images of the land that we had graded through just to check out the geology of the land and it turned out that the senior elder had picked the best route to put the road in. It was an amazing achievement. Once they got to Dunjundara, the community put a bore for water and from there the community developed. Yes, the Spinifex people had returned to their homelands in the 1980s. In doing so, they found the southern part of their country converted into a nature reserve. The northern third lease to First Nation peoples living to the north and the centre vacant crown land, meaning it belonged to the Queen of England. They were upset. They had never seen the Queen of England cleaning out rock holes in their country. Regardless, the Spinifex people got to work. They built a community store medical centre, school, workshop and women's centre. And then the old people began to take the younger ones out bush 
and so began an education program to educate young ones about the land, our customs, our law, our Thukulbar. To cut a long story short, in 1994, the Spinifex people employed an anthropologist to assist them in their native title claim to the High Court of Australia. There was a lot of field work, looking at rock holes, telling the anthropologist the name of the rock holes, and the creation stories connected to the rock holes, telling the anthropologist about the song lines and how they connect people and country together and how they were our travel routes. We began painting our country and produced beautiful works that have been exhibited internationally. We used art to name and record and register every bit of country for our native title claim. And on the 28th of November 2000, my people, the Spinifex people, the forgotten people, were acknowledged by the High Court of Australia as the traditional owners of the land and therefore had native title rights over their lands which covers 55,000 square kilometres of land east of Kalgoorlie in the Great Victorian Desert. My people survived the atomic tests even though thousands of people died as a result of radiation poisoning. The native title determination has given Tuntundara community a strong framework in which we have planned for economic independence based on the fact that we have exclusive possession to the land. But now another serious issue is looming for us. Uranium miner Vimy Resources Limited were given exploration approval to look for uranium deposits at Mulga Rock. But I want to say that the land in which they are searching on is home to some very special desert animals, such as the mountain devil, the pygmy possum, the night parrot, the rainbow bee eater, and the southern marsupial mole, the goanna, just to name a few. There are underground water supplies, and as we know, uranium mines use lots and lots of water. If our water is used, we are concerned that the animals and plants will suffer for example, in land not far away, grass trees grows, and these plants are so unique and we do not want to see them disappear. The land where Vimy want to mine is land covered in golden sand dunes that reflects light beautifully in the early morning and late afternoon. In my culture, it is women's land. No men are allowed to come onto our land because we did our own thing there, women's business. But the land is special because the golden coloured sands heal illnesses. The sand is extremely soft and is a different colour to the strong orange desert sands. When you see this land, a peacefulness washes over you. My Gabali, my grandmother, would take my dad there when he was a child. Dad and other children played in the soft dunes while their mothers would bury themselves in the sand and let the heat of the sand heal aches and pains. They would use the sand to massage their bodies. The minerals in the sand would assist in healing ailments. My brother, Bobby Barton, was born with polio. He couldn't walk, but the old people buried him waist down in the sand to let the minerals and the heat fix his legs. They would give him daily sand massages and he grew up to walk.
We don't want uranium mining in our land or anywhere in the world. Fukushima started in the back of dump trucks in Australia. We are sorry for what happened in Fukushima. First Nations people tried to stop the uranium mine, but look what happened. Destruction and desecration. Like my people, your people became environmental refugees. Not just at Fukushima, but Hiroshima. No good. And of course in other places around the world. But we should keep fighting on and we will stop uranium mining. On behalf of my people, the Anangal and Spinifex people, we thank you for inviting us to tell our story. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Debbie. Can I hug her <laughs> on the stage now? You must have needed a very big courage to come up here and talk this very personal and deep story of my family. Thank you once again. Thank you. There are a lot of other stories. This is just a touch of the surface, but there's a lot of other stories about how we suffered um, as a result of the radiation fallout. And as, as you know, it's quite horrific, but we are survivors and we will, you know, keep fighting for, um, for justice and for peace. Thank you. Question to you, have you ever heard like this kind of very personal and very like a deep indigenous family people's story in your life? Anybody? Yeah. Such an honor to have Debbie here and to listen to her directly from her, her about her family's story. Now, we would like to think about several things, but one of them for sure is um, they have been suffering from the um, consequences of the nuclear testing, which was conducted by the governments, both governments of Australia and UK. So we would like to think about the Hibaksha atomic bomb survivors, but that is not really old and far away story. Here they are. They are also suffering still now from the consequences of the nuclear testing, nuclear bombs. So we would like to introduce the notion of the global hibaksha, not only the hibaksha in Japan, but um, old, still those people are from, uh, old, although um, um, thought as a hibaksha, global hibaksha. So it's really also important, even though who are exposed to the radiation and the nuclear, test, nuclear bombs in Japan was not only Japanese people, but also the Chinese people and Korean people and also the prisoners of war. So there are a lot of nationalities were there under the mushroom cloud and we were all hibaksha. And also the next one, we have a lot of like agendas we can think of from her story but also the uranium mining. Like she said earlier, the, the we, the, the, the national, uh, nuclear 
plants in Fukushima Daiichi plant was using uranium was dipped in Australia, in her nation. So we are so interconnected. So it's not their story, but our story. It's not old story, but our current story. That is the thing that we can learn from her. And ending Debbie's comedy speech was Rika Watanabe, an extraordinary peaceboat organiser and translator who emceed the event and was moved to tears like many others were in the room. The music you heard was This Land Is Mine by Kev Carmody from the album Cannot Buy My Soul. This is all we have time for today and I'd like to give a massive thanks to Debbie Carmody for allowing me to use this recording. Debbie has been a long-time activist on justice and land rights for her people and to stop the Mulga Rock Uranium Project. Her tireless dedication and valuable contributions to the campaign campaign are truly recognised and appreciated. Also, I'd like to give thanks to Rika Wantanabe, who welcomed us aboard the, the peace boat with great enthusiasm and her sincere devotion for a peaceful world without the nuclear industry. Thanks for listening to the 3CR Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this show at www.3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. You can contact us on email radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Anti-Uranium and Clean Energy Collective for the studios of the 3CR Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for more peace, nuclear and energy issues.